that we live in a divided world? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Uh, have you, has anybody else noticed that or is it just me? It's a divided world. And often the church, the big C church, the greater church or churches haven't made it any better. Sometimes we make it worse. Have you noticed that? Like sometimes we want to pick sides. Want to pick sides. Sometimes we pick the side of grace. We just want everything to be about grace. Forgiveness is abundant. Uh, grace is all around. We love everyone. Uh, you're loved and you're loved and they're loved and what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It feels good, right? Yeah. We love love and I mean it's just grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. But when churches go all in on grace in such a way, sometimes, and nothing else, they can get a little soft on the issues that might cut against the grain of culture. And they don't, they don't want to talk about anything that's going to ruffle anybody's feathers. They become a very... Uh, a form of Christianity where anything goes, and they can actually become a form of, of what I call Christian universalism, where everything works out in the end because everybody's loved and everybody's okay, and it's all going to be okay because grace, 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 grace. Now, let me just say, let me make this crystal clear. I am pro-grace, okay? I, thank you, Lord. I am pro-grace. But that sentiment is missing something. It's not, it's not quite the whole story. So sometimes churches feel the, the, the pressure to choose is grace or, or I'll go the other way. And we choose truth. And so some churches or some Christians go all in on truth. And they say, just preach the truth of God. Just preach the word of God. Just teach people. And if that means calling out culture, if it means calling out people in sin, then so be it. We stand for the truth. And these people and these churches believe in the word of God and they are devoted to the scriptures. They are Bible-believing people, but they sure seem to be in a bad mood about it. Right. Have you ever known some of those? Have you been one of those? Like it's, they believe in the truth, but they just seem really angry all the time. And it sounds a little bit more like judgment and wrath, which are true, than the whole story. See, that's the temptation, to choose grace or truth. And if you are not a church person or you're, you're kind of new to faith or new to Christianity, probably one of these has turned you off. You have come across a form of Christianity that was all grace and really heavy on grace and really light on truth. And it felt good, but there wasn't anything transformational in it. Or you have been a part of a ministry that was all truth but very low on grace and you just felt judged and condemned every time you experienced it or walked in the door. 
And what I want to tell you about today, what we're going to talk about today is, is our final two values here at Mountaintop that are some of our words to live by, that undergird who we are as a people, that undergird how we live out our mission and vision. And there's a reason, there's a reason that we did seven values in six weeks because these two always go together. This is the last of our seven values, grace and truth. Everybody just say and with me on three. One, two, three, and, grace and truth. We don't have to choose grace or truth. We need actually grace and truth. Simply, we want to lead with love. We're trying to lead people to the truth of God found in Jesus Christ, but we do so with love. This is the way that we say it. We preach, we will preach the truth of Scripture, but never with a spirit of hostility. We speak grace over our community because Jesus speaks grace over us. We teach truth because we believe the truth sets us free. Here's the thing about grace and truth. Grace and truth will always be challenged to choose grace or truth. There will always be this temptation to lean too heavily on one side or the other. I think this happens to us personally, and I think this happens to us corporately. I mean, isn't there a way to lead people to the truth of God, lead people to the truth in Jesus Christ, but do so with grace, with love and gentleness? And I say, yes, it's the way of Jesus. The Apostle John spent three years with Jesus, not only as one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but John was in an inner circle of Jesus' kind of top three disciples. And we're going to read part of John 1 that is really John's Christmas story. Matthew and Luke are some of the traditional things we read around the Christmas because they tell us um, how things happened at Christmas. They give us a lot of the background and the character stories. Next week, we're going to dig into the whole chapter of Luke 1 for a couple of weeks, kind of that background. It gives us the background of uh, Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men. They, they're talking about how it happened, but not John. John tells us what happened at Christmas. It's kind of like what was actually going on in the cosmos. And listen to what John said was happening when Jesus came into the world in John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That means the Word of God, the full presence of God became human form in Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And just would you just say this with me? full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He's not talking about himself. He's not speaking in third person. He's talking about John the Baptist now, Jesus' cousin, the last prophet before Jesus. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He, was, he created me. He is the creator of the universe. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. And maybe your scripture says grace upon grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, 
God was ushering in a new way to interact with the world through Jesus. A way that didn't lean too heavily on the one side of grace or on the side of truth. Not, and this is so, this was so interesting about it. Jesus wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. It wasn't half grace and half truth. He was full of both grace and truth. And for us to be a Christ-centered church, and for our message and our voice to be heard in this noisy world, I believe that we have to hold these two things in tension together. To be a place full of grace and truth. And I believe that's why people were drawn to Jesus because people need both. It cuts through the cultural norms. And if we're going to be a church that draws people to the authentic, real Jesus, full of grace and truth, then we've got to hold these two together. Otherwise, the world will tune us out. It'll be too heavy-handed with too much truth. It'll be too wishy-washy with too much grace. See, here's what happens when we choose too much grace. We think we're being pastoral. And it feels, it feels a lot like a pillow. It's so soft and cuddly. It's just so nice. We just want to provide a soft place for a weary, tired world to land. Right? We offer spiritual guidance um, we, we give encouragement. It's just so graceful and loving, and we don't want to have anything with any rough edges. We just want to be a soft place for a hurting world to land. It's so pillowy and just cuddly. How many of you grown up still cuddle with a pillow at night? You don't have to raise your hand. <clears throat> the problem when we take that posture of we just want to be cuddly and we know it's soft and inviting, is that if we just want to be a soft place to land, we will avoid speaking into any issues that the culture struggles with. Right? Because we wouldn't want to say anything that will offend someone. So we won't teach on selfishness or pride or greed or sexuality or purity or racism, or addiction, or holiness, or anything that feels a little too heavy-handed because we just want to be a soft place to land. We want everybody to feel good. And we say things like, well, let's just, let's just all agree that God loves everybody, right? Let's just, can't we just all agree on that? Two, two years ago, I saw a, a church that had a sign that I thought just exemplified this. I, I saved the picture on my phone. And this is what the sign said. This is, this is that too much grace. You are good. You are loved. You are enough. Boy, Heidi. That's so cuddly. <laughs> just one problem it's not true it, that seems to say that you're okay right where you are 
See, here's the truth. That is pastoral. It makes people feel better. It is full of grace. But it's just not true because here's the truth. You are not good. You are not good because the scriptures say that no one is good. But you are still loved, not because you are enough, but because Jesus is enough. That's the truth. See, here's the deal with pastoral. It comforts, but it rarely converts. It comforts us. It makes us feel better. It gives us a soft place to land, but it rarely converts. True transformation almost never happens when we go all in with grace and leave truth out. People feel better, but it rarely makes a difference. And we don't want to just make people feel better. We want to see transformation happen. Now, so some churches or Christians, they decide to go all in with truth. <laughs> and they're just going to bring the sledgehammer, right? And we see a world that needs fixing, and we see a world that needs the hammer down brought on it. We want to be prophetic. We want to speak a prophetic word into culture, and we need to hammer the truth, and we stand for the truth, and we see just injustice out there, and we see inequality out there, and we see ungodliness out there, and we see unholiness out there, and we see moral relativism out there, and we want to bring the hammer of justice and righteousness and truth. So that's what we do. We preach the word of God. I saw another church sign, and it, it said this, eternity is a long time to wish you had got saved. <laughs> now, we're going to just ignore that proper English would say, wish you had gotten saved, all right? We're just going to, we're just going to let that go, okay? Eternity is a long time to wish you had got saved. Whew. You know, think about that sign. It's true. Eternity is a really, really long time. And we believe that there is weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell for those who wish they had chosen Jesus. It's true. But it's not very helpful, is it? Would your unchurched friends go to that church? Would your unchurched friends, would your non-believing friends, would you find that inviting? Probably not. It's true. It's real. It speaks the truth. When all is said and done, that'll be true but it's not helpful. Now, I found another church sign, just one more, that I just thought was uncalled for. And it said, do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. <laughs> now, I don't think that came out the way they meant it. <laughs> I didn't particularly like that one. 
Here's the problem when we want to be prophetic, when we think we've got to bring a hammer down on culture, is that it convicts, but it rarely convinces. Yeah, it cuts people to the heart. Yeah, it, yeah it, it, it gets in here, but it rarely convinces people to actually take a step. And I just think surely there is a better way to be what John described in Jesus, full of grace and truth. Now, we're not Jesus, but the Apostle Peter, who was also one of those in that inner circle of three, says the way for followers of Jesus is to best follow his lead. And listen to how Peter puts it. I love this, and I think this is the way for us to be people of truth and grace. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Everyone should be, we should be ready to give, a re, give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have. The reason for the hope that we have is we believe Jesus took on flesh at the very first Christmas and became a man who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And the reason we have hope is that we believe the eternal life that he promised in us, proven by his resurrection, lives in us right now and gives us the hope of eternal life in heaven with him and the promise of resurrection and that he will come back again to judge the living and the dead. That's our hope. We should always be ready to do that. But with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So that even people who disagree with your truth will say, I disagree with the truth, but I can't disagree with who they are. Because they do it with such gentleness. Because they do it with such respect. I'm not sure about their truth. But I am drawn to their grace. And it makes me want to listen more to their truth. I want to be like Jesus. I don't know about you. I want to be full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. What Peter is talking about is not being prophetic and not being pastoral. I think Peter is talking about being something that I would define as persuasive. The book of Acts talks about how the Apostle Paul started church after church by going into the community and going into the synagogues, and it described him as speaking persuasively to the people. He spoke persuasively. And the reason this is so important is because our goal isn't to win arguments. It's to win people. And friends, I want to tell you something. I don't think that's done best with a pillow or with a hammer. I think that's probably done best sitting down in a couple of chairs in a relationship. I think that's done best in conversation with someone you have taken time to build trust so that you can share the truth. I think that's done in the context of someone who understands that you have grace for them. See, here's, 
Here's what persuasive does. When we're persuasive, it conveys but never condemns. It conveys the truth, but it never condemns. Isn't it funny when Jesus found a woman caught in sin, one of the things he said is, go and leave your life of sin, but I don't condemn you. There's truth, you, there's, there's sin, but I don't condemn you. It conveys, but it never condemns. It's inviting and yet honest. My, um, my freshman year in college, I was about two or three weeks on campus. And uh, I was working for the football team. Uh, I was a student manager on the team, living in the athletic dorm. I knew no one. Uh, I, no one from my high school went to my college. So I didn't know a soul. And so sometimes the weekends could be a little lonely because of that. I'll never forget one Friday night, uh, early on, like I said, two or three weeks after my parents had dropped me off and drove off without me. <laughs> audacious of them I got a call from one of the junior quarterbacks on the team on the football team and he called my dorm room and invited me up to his dorm room because he was watching Batman that night he had rented Batman and wanted to know if I wanted to watch it with him on a VHS because listen I want to tell you we were not watching uh, Ben Affleck Batman and we were not watching Christian Bale Batman and we were not watching George Clooney Batman and we were not watching Val Kilmer Batman we were watching the one and only Batman Michael Keaton Batman <laughs> I like all the others I mean he's I know some of you are like no Adam West is right the real Batman some of you and so I, you know, I go up to his room and it's just me and him watching Batman in his dorm room. And that would be the same dorm room that he would invite me to a Bible study a couple of weeks later with a group of four or five upperclassmen whose lives looked very different than mine. And I went because he had reached out to me in relationship, because he had offered me a seat. And that Bible study changed my life and challenged my faith. I had to come face to face with some truths about my life and my devotion to Jesus and my commitment to my faith that I had not come to grips with yet. And I am convinced I would not be in ministry without that Bible study. I am convinced I would not have become the man that Emily wanted to marry without that Bible study. But that Bible study didn't start with thumping me over the head with a Bible. It didn't start with speaking a prophetic word of truth over me. It didn't even start with an invitation to Bible study. It started with Batman. And to a lonely freshman on a Friday night, Batman feels a whole lot like grace. If we want to be people of truth and grace, it starts in relationship. How would that change the way you do things? How would that change the way you use your phones? Oh, boy. It's easy to hammer people online, isn't it? I would encourage you to use social media, media only for grace. Because if you just want to hammer people with the truth online, you don't want to persuade them. You just want to pummel them 
and it might feel good for a minute, and you might win the battle, but you will lose the war. And the war for the hearts and souls of the people on the other keyboard is what it's all about. Truth and grace. And if you're not ready to sit down across a coffee table, a lunch table, or even a Zoom call to speak truth, just wait until you are. Wait until you have a relationship. If we're going to be truth and grace church, we got to be truth and grace people. We won't change the world with a hammer or a pillow, but we just might with a couple of chairs and a conversation. So here's the message of grace and truth. That's the real deal that the world needs. And maybe it's the message that you need. Jesus loves you even though you're a sinner. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And just part of it, leave it a little incomplete, right? Just part of it. If I just say Jesus loves you and don't let you know the rest, then I can kind of lead you to say, well, that everything's okay right where you are. And you may not know that you've got to come face to face and come to grips with your own sin. If I tell you that you're a sinner but don't tell you that Jesus loves you, it can leave you feeling judged. It can leave you feeling condemned. It could leave you feeling hopeless that there was never a path for you to be in relationship with God. The truth is that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. The grace is that Jesus loves us anyway. And if we go too much, too far, with too much grace, then it feels like we're always trying to tell the world that right and wrong don't matter. And if we go with too much truth, it always feels like we're trying to tell the world that they're wrong. And the world doesn't need either. The world needs grace and truth. Jesus loves you even though you're a sinner, even though I'm a sinner. Here's the truth. And here's how Jesus solved it. The truth is, our sin deserved punishment and judgment. So the way Jesus bridged the gap wasn't sitting in a chair, but hanging on a cross. Because he loves us so much, he decided to take the judgment on our behalf. That's called truth and grace coming together at Calvary. And that's why we celebrate Christmas every year. That's what came into the world. That's why we sing that he rules the world with truth and grace. And that's why we believe that the announcement of Jesus' birth and his arrival in Bethlehem is a reason for us to sing joy to the world. The million-dollar question for every single one of us, for you watching at home, for you, these seats, has your heart prepared room for that, Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is um, so easy for us to kind of go all in one way or the other. And maybe we have believed that you love us and, and that we love that message, but we haven't come face to face with the truth that we are sinners in need of saving, that, that we are in need of redemption. So my prayer, God, is that today that that would become real, that we would be able to understand the truth of who we are. We are not enough. 
There are other of us, others of us watching or in this room, God, who have constantly felt judged and constantly felt condemned, and we have never been able to wrap our heads around the, the idea that you love us anyway, despite our past, despite our mistakes, despite our sinfulness. And my prayer today is that that, that grace would become real and that we would make room in our hearts. And Father, I'm just praying for somebody watching online, for somebody in this room who has never made that decision. It's never made sense until now that Jesus loves them even though they're a sinner. And they've had a hard time admitting they're a sinner or they've had a hard time accepting that you love them. But today, they collide in their hearts. So Lord, would you help today be the day they say yes? And friends, if you're watching online, if you're in this room, here's just what I want to speak to you just for a moment. If you just kind of have a moment by yourself with this closing song that we're going to sing together, this anthem of the Christmas season, be a moment for you if you've never made that choice to say, yes, I want all of that. Yes, I believe all of that. Yes, I need all of that. And when you walk out those doors, would you come see us at the Meet the Pastor, even if you're not brand new, and say, I think God did something in my heart today? and I need to talk to somebody about it. I think I said yes to Jesus today. I think I want to know more about what it means to believe in that Jesus. Because even though you're not good, you're still loved. Because Jesus is enough. And he's done enough on the cross. In his name, amen. I want to invite you to stand and sing together.